you know, I, I think military spouses just come with this really unique set of challenges and experience and benefits. Um, I think it takes a lot of patience, selflessness, and I think even more patience. I think uh, we we uh, abide by the hurry up and wait <laughs> uh, perspective at our house. Um, I kind of feel like it's we're always in a state of transition, you know, yeah. moving every couple of years. By the time you get settled, it's time to go to the next place, right? Time to plan and for the next move. Um, so in that aspect, it's really hard. Um, you know, from the, the military spouse perspective, you know, we're not deploying, we're not on the front lines, but you know, I think a lot of us still experience a lot of that fear and uncertainty and, and sometimes trauma, just as the service member does. And I think that's oftentimes overlooked. Um, it's incredibly overwhelming, you know, where when our spouse is in the field, they're deployed, they're TDY, they're training, you know, oftentimes all of those roles fall on the spouse. And, um, you know, with, with kids, you know, it, it takes a toll. And, um, you know, we see it within the you know, military mental health on the spouse side as well. Um, yeah. I think think back to some of the deployments and such, um, you know, Murphy's Law, anything that could go wrong did. And so just kind of overcoming a lot of the challenges. <laughs> um, looking back, it's funny. At the time, it was not so funny, but uh, yeah. now I can look back and smile. Yeah. Hello, Leading with Vulnerability podcast listeners and watchers on YouTube. I'd like to welcome you to the last episode of season two of the Leading with Vulnerability podcast. Uh, before we get into this uh, final episode with Betsy Mercado, which I'll talk about in just a second, I just wanted to say thank you to everyone out there for listening and watching the podcast. And then a special shout out and thank you to my patrons out there. Thank you so much for your monetary support. You motivate me and keep me going uh, every week when I'm uh, producing and doing all this stuff and, and trying to get out good quality content to to all the listeners. I'll tell you what, season two was an amazing season. I had uh, 10,000 plus listens and views, which in, you know, if you're looking at like Joe Rogan podcast and some of the other big podcasts out there, that's nothing. That's a, that's a weekend. But when I'm thinking about Yuma Barnett talking about vulnerability, uh, 10,000 plus views and listeners is a big deal. And it's a big deal because it made an impact. And I'll share one story that you may have heard before, but on a recent episode that I had with Chris Higgins, who was a former platoon leader of mine when I was a first sergeant in Delta Company 375, who uh, went to Harvard, ended up leaving the military and going to McKinsey uh, and being a consultant. I had another PL reach out to me shortly after the episode aired. He was a PL with me at the same time in Delta Company, and he said, I had no idea that Chris had gotten out and went to McKinsey. Uh, this uh, this uh, other PL who reached out, he said he was thinking about, he's about to get out of the military and he really wanted to go into uh, consulting and was really looking hard at McKinsey. So because of this podcast, he was able to find out that somebody he knew was in a position where he wanted to be and they were able to link up and ha hopefully have a fruitful conversation and get onto some career aspirations for him. So uh, that's the power of 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 one and much less 10,000 which hopefully there were some other impacts out there and many that I didn't hear about and there was plenty of other calls and texts and messages that I got over the course of season 2 which uh just motivate the heck out of me and keep me going on. Uh as far as season 3, that'll start airing in April and I've already got a couple episodes in the bank. I got uh 
uh, Air Force retired for 30 years, David Nordell, who uh, has a fantastic story, a fantastic outlook on life, and uses words like maximum fabulous, which uh, tune in in April to hear more about that. And I have the CEO of the Honor Foundation, which I'm sure some of you have heard me talk about, uh, Matt Stevens, former Navy SEAL, first Navy SEAL to come on the show. I'm, I'm sure I gave him a little bit of a hard time about that, but there's just a couple of the episodes that we have in the bank. And for this uh, final episode of season two, I have Betsy Mercado. She called in from Korea, where her husband is currently stationed. Uh, she's a military spouse, uh, a wife, you know, a mother. And she's also the executive director at Objective Zero. And uh, any of you who follow me and follow my journey, Objective Zero is something that I am running a fundraising event for to help get at this veteran suicide epidemic that we have going on in our country. And hopefully I can give some a little bit of funds to Objective Zero uh, and get one domino to fall because uh, you all have heard it, If uh, I believe, very much in the power of one and if we can move one move one to to get help and move one domino hopefully we can get the rest to fall and we can get at it because i think uh, at the end of the day the objective when it comes to veteran suicide is zero the objective is zero so uh, i hope you guys enjoy her story we had you know she's all the way from korea there's some connectivity issues in there but i know the point of the podcast is going to get across and make sure you follow me and be there and please come out and support me. Tune into the live stream on March 4th over on the Valhalla Cowboy YouTube channel and probably here also on the Leading with Vulnerability YouTube channel. We're going to stream for 24 hours. We're going to have some callers call in and talk to us over that time and uh, got some other Ranger veterans that are going to get on there and, and stream with me and hopefully raise a little bit of uh, coinage for Objective Zero and the great things that they're doing over there. But I just wanted to, before the episode got started say thank you thank you for tuning in to season two and be prepared for season three when it comes out here in april so let's get to let's get to betsy and and her 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 podcast welcome to the leading with vulnerability podcast i'm your host yuma barnett and today i have a very special guest from korea which will be the first time i've had a guest out of country on the podcast so i'm really thankful for betsy mercado for taking time you know it's eight o'clock here in georgia and i think it's like 9 p.m or later in korea so thanks for coming on you know early this morning here and and late at night there where you are but betsy is a military spouse uh wife uh mother but she's also the executive director of objective zero which is something that we're going to get into detail about, but uh, I'm not going to monopolize the time and, and steal the thunder from Betsy. I'm going to let her introduce herself and we'll get on with the conversation. Well, thank you so much, Yuma, for having me. I'll let uh, the opportunity to share a little bit more about myself and an objective zero. Uh, I'm from the Midwest, born and raised in South Dakota, um, married my husband in 2000 and been a military spouse ever since. Um, he enlisted in the Army. Our first duty station was in Alaska. 9-11 um, occurred. Um, he decided to go to Green to Gold and got out of the Army, went back to school for a couple of years, um, then uh, commissioned as an infantry officer. And since then, we've lived in Georgia three times, Colorado, Germany, Virginia, uh, Hawaii two times, and now in Korea. I've spent most of the last 20 plus years in a volunteer role, um, leading family readiness groups, uh, coaching soccer, um, got my business degree, and then my master's in human services, um, and then co-founded the Objective Zero Foundation. And I've been the executive director here for five years now. And I think one of my 
most important things and roles is, is a mom. I've got two kids that are in college. Nice. Well, I, when you, when you're talking there and about all the places you've been, that's the one thing I'm jealous about is spending most of my time in the 75th Ranger Regiment. I spent almost my entire career in Georgia, except for a small stint in Sydney, Australia, but you guys have got to bounce around and see a lot of different things and, and do what the recruiters told me I was going to do when I first joined was travel and see the world. And, uh, uh, I'm a little bit jealous of that, that it's great. It also has its struggles when you move around that much. And I know it does, especially on the officer side, because it's, you're on a kind of a two year cycle everywhere you go. And I know that's difficult and we'll talk about that a little bit before we get any deeper in the conversation, I always start off asking my guests what their definition of vulnerability is. It's a really great question. I really think about vulnerability and the courage to put yourself out there, sharing your experiences and being your truth. With my line of work, I mean, I think vulnerability is the foundation of connection. Um, it allows us to build those connections and it shows that we're human, we're not perfect. And I think most importantly, it allows us to empathize with others. Yeah. Absolutely. I think very simple definition, but I think it's right on point and is uh, along the same tune as many of my other guests that, that have came on the show in the past. So um, you hold one of the, if not the most challenging positions in the world that is underappreciated, undervalued and uh, misunderstood a lot. And that's that of a, of a military spouse. Um, I would just kind of like your perspective on what it was like as a military spouse. And, and as part of that, I get a lot of service members that are pre 9-11 and uh, what nine, the impact 9-11 kind of had on their careers. But we never really talk about the wife that's sitting there watching 9-11 happen and knowing that their significant other, their spouse's life is probably about to take a significant turn in a different direction to, to support and what you did for 20 plus years there. Uh, uh, like your uh, perspective on, on all those things. You know, we were flying, we had flown back from New York the day before 9-11. We had gone to a Buffalo Bills game, came back to Alaska, um, woke up and, you know, turned on the news and we're just, you know, couldn't believe what would happen, you know, what was happening. And um, my husband decided that he wanted to become an officer. He wanted to do a degree into gold. And so he ended up getting out less than two months after 9-11 um, um, to go to school, went to University of South Dakota. He ended up doing um, almost four years of college and two because he was afraid he was going to deploying. Oh, right. <laughs> little, yeah. you know, little did he know that he would de deploy five times over, you know, the, the, over his career thus far. Um, you know, I, I think military spouses just come with this really unique set of challenges and experience and benefits. Um, I think it takes a lot of patience, selflessness, and I think even more patience. I think uh, we we uh, abide by the hurry up and wait <laughs> uh, perspective at our house. Um, I kind of feel like it's we're always in a state of transition, you know, yeah. moving every couple of years. By the time you get settled, it's time to go for the next place and time to plan and for the next move. Um, so in that aspect, it's really hard. Um, you know, from the, the military spouse perspective, you know, we're not deploying, we're not on the front lines, but, you know, I think a lot of us still experience a lot of that fear and uncertainty and, and sometimes trauma, just as the service member does. And I think that's oftentimes overlooked. Um, it's incredibly overwhelming, you know, where when our spouse is in the field, they're deployed, they're TDY, they're training, you know, oftentimes all of those roles fall on the spouse and, um, you know, with, with kids, you know, it, it takes a toll. And, um, you know, we see it within the you know, military mental health on the spouse side as well. Um, yeah. I think, think back to some of the deployments and such, um, 
you know, Murphy's Law, anything that could go wrong did. And so just come overcoming a lot of the challenges. <laughs> um, looking back, it's funny. At the time, it was not so funny. But uh, yeah. now I can look back and smile. Yeah, that's funny. I, I would like your thoughts on So when you're moving as much, you I know I didn't move as much as you guys did and a lot of my officer counterparts because of the back, because of the career I chose. But I moved, a, you know, quite a few times, six or eight times in my military career. And you're right. When you move somewhere and and you can already see the light at the end of the tunnel that you're going to move again. So how do you try to make a house a home? Um, um, is it is it little things like deliberately unpacking everything and hanging things on the wall? Because I know I've moved to houses and there's boxes that we never unpacked and there's pictures we never hung until we were leaving to go to the next place. And we go, man, I wish we would have hung that up. I haven't seen that picture in years and stuff. So what are some of the steps that you took to try to, you know, create a balance and a, and a, and a home environment for, for you and the family, the kids and all that. Um, so when the movers came and dropped all our stuff off, we have them unpack everything take all the boxes, take all the wrapping paper, everything. And so we're forced to go through everything and put everything away. Um, over the years we have decluttered a lot just because yeah. we're, you know, the amount of stuff that we've accumulated over the years. Um, luckily we were able to, we moved to Korea, we put over half of our stuff in storage. So like we were unpacked in a day and everything was up on the walls because we didn't put a lot. So, um, so I think um, keeping the house uncluttered and um, establishing, your, establishing your household and just kind of your life as soon as you can makes things a little bit easier. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I can definitely, um, uh, I feel you with the clutter. Um, if, you, if your husband's anything like me, I have a garage full of green duffel bags that is just full of stuff. And I'm scared to throw it away because I never knew what they were going to ask for me to turn back in. So there was this little, you know, this pile of stuff that followed us everywhere we went. And I was so glad when I finally retired and was able to either turn it in or get rid of some of that stuff. And I, I say I was glad. I know my wife was very happy to uh, <laughs> to get rid of some of that stuff. Those those green duffel bags, they're not something that they don't look good in the corner sitting over there. You know, it's not very aesthetically pleasing looking at all that stuff. Um so on top of being a military spouse, you're a, you're a mom. Um, it's a, it's a struggle for, it's a struggle in general for a military spouse. And then when you add kids to the mix, you, you are, like you said, when the deployments and the, the training events, you have to wear all the hats. Um, what are some of the things that you did to know, keep your sanity? Um, um, just what are some of the, some of the stuff you did just to keep, keep things going when, when dad was out of the house. Yeah. You know, it's hard because as, as the adults make the conscious choice for to join the military or marry someone that's in the military, your plans on serving. And so, you know, actually made the most sacrifices than myself or my husband did. Um, you know, I, I can look back now because my kids are both in college or we're empty nesters and seeing just how much back, um, they had on kind of all the decisions we made, you know, when we were, um, sometimes we had the option and, and had a say in where he would be, my husband would be stationed, the duty stations. And so, you know, that was kind of the, our input, my input and the kids input, they actually had a say in like, okay, these are the options where you guys want to go. Um, for us, you know, schools were really important, making sure that activities were available, uh, both scholastic activities and, you know, sports and such. Um, and so being able to, um, kind of plan ahead. So as soon as we knew, okay, we're moving to Colorado Springs. Okay, well, you know, what do they have? Do they have jujitsu gyms? Do they have wrestling gyms? You know, what are the best schools? Um, and making sure that our kids had access to those activities uh, so that we could stay involved. Um, specifically when deployed, 
the more busy we stayed and, and, and stick to, uh, stuck to routine, uh, the better outcomes. Because, um, you know, life, you know, your husband deploys, your spouse deploys, life goes on, you know, the kids still have to go to school, uh, you might have to go to work. And so keeping and establishing those routines, I think was most helpful, because we all knew what to expect on a day to day basis, dad knew our routine, would call when he could, he was you know, early mornings, late nights, um, lots of pictures going back and forth, um, um, just so he could stay involved in their lives as well. I think keeping that that service or part of your daily life was just as important to because you know they're missing out a lot. I'm sure you know you've yeah. experienced it as well. You know you miss out on so much that you know how do you keep that parent involved? Yeah, absolutely. And then that's have you were you when did you start becoming a part of the FRG? Was that early on before your uh, husband transitioned over to the officer side, or or, or after that? It was after he was actually a captain by the time I started getting involved. Um, unfortunately, there's not so so great spouses out there and not so great uh, FRGs and um, kind of stayed away from it for a while just because it was pretty toxic. But yeah. um, uh, he, my husband had three company commands. I was able to be an FRG leader for those three commands. And uh, he was on a, a, a PRT, provincial reconstruction team. And so I served as the FRG leader for um, kind of that, that joint role, not just military, uh, army, but there was air force uh, on that team as well. Yeah. And that's interesting how you make the FRG is a, it's a strange dynamic. It, it, it changes with unit. It changes with platoon. You know, every platoon's got a little different. And uh, I, my wife and I kind of took the approach early on as hands off of FRG. And then I realized, you know, I'm a leader as I'm part of this. I can either be part of the solution or I can be part of the problem because I could see I saw that there's definitely benefit in having a strong family readiness group, especially when we started having casualties and uh, the deployments were back to back to back to back. Uh, it's very important to have there. What are your thoughts just overall, Grand Art? We could hardly have a whole episode to talk about FRG groups and stuff, but to somebody out there that's listening that might be new to the military, what would you say to them or what advice would you give them? You know, I think getting involved is one of the best things that you can do. I think overall, FRG family readiness groups are a, a great way to make sure that the families are taken care of. Uh, that was one of um, my, my husband's first command. They were deploying to Afghanistan. And, you know, making sure that all, every spouse knew kind of the process, they had their, their powers of attorney that made sure they could access their banking information. Um, you know, we had like a 17 year old spouse who didn't drive, like how do we make sure that she's not just staying at home all the, all the time or you know, her spouse is gone. Um, so I think overall, it can be a very, very good experience. If you go into it with good intentions, you'll leave the drama at the door. Um, and you have a purpose, you know, it's getting, it's not just the social aspect. It really is um, part, uh, part of the, the resiliency and the readiness um, of that, for that service member. You can yeah. go off and deploy and you know that your family is taken care of. You can focus on your job. And that for us was most important. Yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. The FRG can be a very powerful tool when, when done correctly. And, and you, you go into it uh, and it's, it's, Sometimes I don't think we look at it deep enough, right? We are as leaders, uh, military leaders and military families, as we we're we're help we're helping people understand how to be husbands and fathers, and we're doing more than just teaching them how to do battle drills and combat tactics or whatever your job might be. You're setting the example for them in all phases of their life because, as you know, the military is very diverse, and a lot of people. I came from a broken home into the military. And I learned a lot about being a father from some of my military leaders because I watched how they did it. And I watched how they sacrificed 
time at work, you know, they could have stayed at work an extra hour, but they went home and coached the soccer team and they did those things to be, to be present in their family's lives. And I think that's the power of the FRG. If you, if you do it right and you have the right intentions, it can set up people for the military success, your unit and, and relieve pressure, but it can also set you up for the rest of your life as a, as a husband, father, wife, uh, whatever it is. Do you feel the same? Oh, absolutely. You know, I think, you know, if I were to give advice to that new military spouse, um, would be to find your people. And I think that's for that new service member as well. You know, you need to find that support network that's going to be your biggest cheerleader and supporter. Um, the ones that you can call anytime, day or night when you have an emergency or you just need a event, need a coffee date, whatever it is. Um, and then people that you can be yourself and honest with. And I think that you can find that both within the military community and out of the military community just to have that support network. Because, I mean, I've learned that, you know, everyone's kind of struggling in one way or another. And you need to have that support system to fall back on. Um, and also, I think what a lot of people fail to realize is how much impact that spouse can have on that service member's career, good and bad. You know, Absolutely. Um, that teamwork between husband and wife or you know, spouse and spouse, husband and husband, wife and wife, whatever it may be. Um, my husband credits a lot of his success to me being there and being supportive. And I cannot be supportive. He may have not been as successful. Um, and so I think that that role for both the service member and the spouse back and forth and that teamwork and that collaboration and communication is just as important. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my wife and I have spoke about it often, you know, privately and, and on the podcast that we've always said for new military spouses, or even if you're, you know, been in the military spouse environment for a while. Well, she always said that the most important thing for you as a spouse is you got to have your own life as well. You, you can't plan your whole life around your husband's training calendar, events, what he's doing when he goes to work, when he comes home, you got to do something outside of like, you got to have your own rhythm, your own battle rhythm, your own battle drills, your own thing. You know, she got her master's degree while I was still on, on active duty, but that was key to her mental health was having her own thing going on. And I was wondering if you have something similar or, or have advice for some of those spouses that might be kind of struggling to find those people out there. Yeah, I think, you know, find things that you love, get involved in your kids' activities. That's kind of some of the things that where I found uh, really great friends. Um, and, you know, I, I meant to talk about this earlier, you know, spouse underemployment and unemployment is a huge thing in the military. We've got so many families that are struggling financially because that spouse can't maintain a job. You know, employers don't want to hire because the uncertainty and just yeah. it's a risk hiring a military spouse. And so, you know, finding a career, finding, you know, getting your degree, you know, learning, you know, getting certificates, you know, having that identity outside of just being a military spouse, because at some point that that military spouse career is going to end as well, or that the, the yeah. spouse's career is going to end. And so you need to have that identity outside, or I think it's like a huge problem once you're out of the military. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, you know, it goes back to, you know, something we always say to transitioning service members is you got to build your network. Uh, cause you, when you, eventually the military is going to end, right? It's going to end and you're still going to have quite a bit of life in front of you. So you got to start building your network early. And I think it goes the same way for spouses getting out, getting at, getting active with the FRG and your community and, uh, you know, um, and stuff like that. We'll start to build that network. So when you do transition as a family, you can hopefully go back to them and find employment or, or have, have activities outside, outside of the service. So it's, a uh, it's a rewarding life 
you know, the military life, but it's also very challenging. I was great. Yeah. And that'll bring us to what, what you're doing now um, with Objective Zero, which I, I love the name. I think it's so just on point because that should be the objective when we're talking about veteran suicide, veteran mental health. Um, what is what is Objective Zero? What are its origins? What can you tell us about it? Objective Zero is a tech nonprofit that's connecting service members, veterans, their families, and caregivers to a global network of peer support through voice, video, and text. And we do that through the Objective Zero app. We're different than your traditional crisis hotlines, text lines, and warm lines, and that our community members, our app users, have the ability to filter through our network to find someone most like them. And that's based on their age, gender, location branch of service, where they've deployed to, um, and we're actually building in some additional filters. But um, and we also have different resources that span from yoga and meditation to free or low-cost mental health care, just a variety of resources that aid uh, with mental health and wellness. Um, and, um, to discuss kind of the origins of Objective Zero, um, it was 2014, and um, my co-founder, Justin Miller, was struggling with his transition out of the army, um, was substance abuse issues, um, a lot of pain, traumatic brain injury, um, suicidal. He reached out for help and couldn't get an appointment to be seen for two days. Um, he was posting struggles over social media and my husband, Chris recognized that something was going on. And so the two of them talked on the phone for over six hours one night. And Chris didn't have any training outside the military. I think it was ACE training at the time still. Uh, but he knew to ask Justin if he was suicidal. And, and Justin kind of laughed and said, you know, my weapons were, were loaded the night before. We wouldn't be having this conversation. The two of them spoke. Uh, it was over six hours. And it really sparked the idea of the simple act of listening can save lives. And we wanted to replicate that call on a grander scale. And we thought to use technology to do it. And so from there, Objective Zero app was created. Yeah, so I, I, I've researched it. So please correct me if I'm wrong, but for me, if I'm if I need help, if I'm I'm you know struggling, I can use the app and I can filter it down and find somebody that matches me better or that I would be more comfortable with to hopefully have that first conversation, right? Which I I think is so very important. It's that first step, you know. Uh, I always say in the military, the hardest thing to do is initiate movement. And I think the hardest thing to do in mental health is initiate movement and take that first step. And hopefully if you can connect with somebody that's from this, you know, cut from the same cloth that you are, that'll be that first step to the next step, which is maybe a, whatever it is, a treatment facility, professional help, but it's that first step. And I know for me personally, I've received phone calls from former service members because they were comfortable with me. And that was their first step, right? That They were on the edge, you know, and uh, I was able to help them get to the professional that they needed because I'm not the professional, but I was able to be that first intervention. And I think that's kind of what objective zero is, right? It's some, it's, it makes it easier for the service member to get connected with somebody, hopefully that they were willing to be vulnerable with and start the process. Is that right? It's That's absolutely correct. You know, we found that um, with these filters, it builds a shortcut to trust because you're talking with someone that's been where you've been, done what you've done and seen what you've seen. And so I think we've, I mean, at least we've experienced a witness that people are opening, our veterans are willing to open up to someone that truly understand. 
know, the other person on the end of that call or that text, or that video chat is not there to make a dime. They're there because they've either been in that position themselves or they've known someone that is, and, you know, they just want to be there. And so you've got someone on the other end of that line that truly wants to help or just listen. It's not that we've been just, um, it's just sometimes for some just listening, um, just getting whatever is off on your chest off. And so it's, it's been remarkable to see some of these connections being made within the app. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And you know, so you've been in that, how long have you been in with the objective zero? How, when did it first start? Um, 2017 is when the app launched. We established it in 2016. Okay. So in that time in this nonprofit space, uh, what are some of the challenges that you guys face, you know, during startup to, to where you are now to keep objective zero going? You know, I, I think that the very first challenge was fundraising. I mean, I think that's, always going to be a challenge is, is bringing those dollars in um, to keep it going because we offer this for free. We don't want to charge anyone to use the Objective Zero app. Um, we actually got started on a Kickstarter campaign in 2017. Uh, we raised $38,000 oh, to wow. start the development of the Objective Zero app. And so, um, you know, it was friends, family, and strangers that believed in our idea. And so uh, the Kickstarter itself was a a whole, I could do another podcast on that one. <laughs> um, it was an experience. Um, um, you know, now we're in this space where we're, we're starting to grow. We've been able to support um, over 14,000 veterans and service members and family members um, since we launched the app. And we're, we're building version 2.0 of the app that should be released within the next month or so. We're going to be testing this month. Um, with additional tools, uh, a mood journal, a symptom tracker. Um, so for us, is how do we how do we keep veterans that might be in crisis or headed down that crisis engaged? How do we keep them um, healthy? How do we you know how do we aid in their wellness? And so building some of these new features uh, is really important for us to um, to to be part of that path to wellness for that veteran or service member or family member. Yeah. Um, Another challenge that was a little bit unexpected is the competition within the nonprofit world. Uh, veterans, VSOs uh, specifically, uh, was not prepared for that. Um, we take a very collaborative approach. We, you know, if we can't help a veteran, we'll make sure that we pass, you know, get, get them connected to a resource that will help them because our app is not for everyone. Um, but other organizations are unwilling to kind of share each other as a resource. Um, they see it as you know, if, if we get funding, we're taking their money. If we help veterans, we're helping their veterans. Um, it's really quite disgusting. And yeah. <laughs> I, I was not mentally prepared for that, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, the you know, there's uh last time I checked, uh, there was like 49,000 veteran nonprofits out there trying to do stuff. And uh, I, I spent a good portion of my time trying to vet and see who was actually trying pre- practicing what they preach. And uh, it is a, it can be a dirty, disheartening uh, world in the, in the nonprofit space. Cause it's really misnamed in a way, cause you have to profit to make a pro- nonprofit run, which is kind of, uh, you know, it is what it is. And I'm sure it's a challenge. Um, and you're the, I don't hear a lot of, a lot of nonprofit VSOs in the tech space. Was there, was there certain challenges in the tech space? Is, was it more logistically or financially or what was it when it came just to the tech side of, of objective zero? So fortunately, a couple of our co-founders um, 
had that technical background that really helped get us off the off the ground. Uh, we have an amazing tech team. Um, we have a development firm that we've hired um, and contract out to do our development work. But you know, using technology is you know really really great because you can reach people where they are. But when the technology doesn't work, then you can't help anyone. And so. Um, we're kind of always on our toes, making sure that there aren't bugs, um, that AWS isn't going out because if AWS, the cloud goes out, like our app doesn't function, you can't access anything. And so um, there are things that are outside of control that we can't, we can't do anything about. So, um, so if there's a lot of patience. Uh, technology can be pretty finicky sometimes, uh, but, you know, we wanted to do something different. And at the time, no one was doing um, using an app to connect uh, veterans to one another. And so uh, you've you got some really great existing hotlines out there um, that you can dial a number and get connected to another veteran. Yeah. And we wanted to use technology and, and wireless technology to do it. Yeah, awesome. So if somebody wants to become part of Objective Zero, either as a, you know, looking for help or or to help, how does it work? So... Anyone can go down uh, to the Apple Store, Google Play Store, the Apple App Store, uh, and download the app. If you don't have a smartphone uh, or prefer just to use our web app, we have a version right on our website. You don't have to download anything. You can just access the app immediately. Uh, it's all free. Um, if you go to our website, objectivezero.org, um, you can learn more about how to be a volunteer. We offer all of our training online and different ways to get involved, uh, to donate, uh, Really, some really great information online as well on our website to, to learn more. Yeah. Um, so absolutely, if you're out there and, and, and either, if you're in either bucket, you need help or you're, you're trying to figure out how you can, how you can help somebody either as part of the mentorship type side of it or, or financially go to the, go to their website, some great information and, uh, and, and help and help them out. And that'll bring us to, there is an opportunity through, this podcast, and uh, for those of you who are familiar with the Valhalla Cowboy, my crazy uh, counterpart over here, is uh, we're doing a live stream on March 4th, which is, uh, everybody who knows me, a very significant day in my life when my roommate Matthew Commons and uh, other service members were killed in Afghanistan back in 2002. So we're going to live stream playing Call of Duty for, for 24 hours, and we're going to give all the proceeds to Objective Zero to help them on their on their journey to, you know, get at this mental health and this suicide epidemic that has really hit our veterans. And uh, I think a lot of people think, you know, we, the war's over, it's slowed down. Hopefully some of this stuff will slow down, but I will tell you from my own experience, it's when it slows down that the mental health side sometimes becomes the worst. It becomes the most difficult because personally for me, that's when I've had a, been able to set back and reflect on those 16 deployments and some of the things I saw and some of the things that I did. And uh, uh, I think the need for help is not going to decrease in the near future. It's probably going to only increase. And I think Objective Zero is a great way to to help help our veterans lead lives, you know, outside of service that are um, fulfilling and help them, you know, be better, be better, just human beings, and and hopefully find happiness again outside of the uniform, which can be really, really difficult. Um, Betsy, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing a little bit about the Objective Zero story and what you guys are doing. You guys are doing amazing, amazing things. Uh, I say it all the time. It's uh, the power of one. If we can get one domino to fall, hopefully the rest of them will follow suit and we can uh, we can get to this. We can 
provide a solution to to this problem out there. And uh, you know, if it's not objective zero, it's not your thing. Go go somewhere else. Find another cup of tea, or just pick up the phone and call an old ranger buddy, an old marine friend, or whatever it is, and start that process to healing. But there is one question that I ask of everybody, Betsy, before we go off the show, kind of like the vulnerability is uh, I always like to know if you could go back and talk to that new military spouse, um, what advice uh, would you give her? That's a phenomenal question. I think I would tell Betsy 20 plus years ago um, to take that leap of faith, to get involved, to, to step out of your comfort zone. Uh, my, my first couple of years as a military spouse was really hard and really lonely. You know, there, there was no social media. There was, I don't think I even had a cell phone at that time. Um, I was up in Alaska um, in the winter. It was, you know, pretty awful. Um, so I, I wish I would have gotten involved. Um, I've seen the, the military make some really phenomenal strides in their, um, their family advocacy and their family programs and, and the, the resources available to spouses. And I didn't have that, you know, when I was young. And I wish I did. And I, I wish I would have made some of those connections that I have now as a as a more seasoned spouse. Um, um, to, it would have made things a lot easier and that it does get a whole lot better. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. Uh, I know my wife probably shares some of the same sentiments there is. Uh, it can be daunting at first, can be very scary at first when you're, uh, you know, we've all seen it, the 18-year-old spouse who came from uh, the Midwest or the out west where I came from, middle of nowhere, into a military environment. But uh, I think my own, my wife was surprised how welcoming the other spouses were once she finally stepped out of her comfort zone and she made some lifelong friends, uh, the people that she still talks to today. And uh, the military, a lot with its challenges and everything. Um, is a great place. It's a great place to be. Yeah, like you've traveled the world on the government dime and seen things that most people only dream of. And, uh, but with that, thank you for everything you've done with objective zero. Uh, you found somewhere that there's a need and, and you took action, which is, uh, more than a lot of people can say. And, uh, I, I thank you for that. And hopefully we can, I can raise a little bit of money for you and, and help the cause. Cause, uh, um, I'm, I'm just, uh, I started this podcast because I was sick of seeing my friends kill themselves, right? And uh, and, and get divorced and and go down a path of, of into a dark place. And hopefully we can uh, we can help. I can help you bring a few more back to the light. So thanks for coming on the show and uh, thanks for taking time to this evening in, in Korea. Thank you so much, you. I really appreciate it.